You're listening to the CFMEU Mining and Energy Podcast. Welcome to the CFMEU Mining and Energy Podcast. I'm Tim Brunero. When open-cut coal miner Nick started at 6am on July 18, 2018, he had no idea that cold winter's day would end with his 200-tonne truck bursting into flame underneath him and three hours of walkie-talkie chatter with rescue teams as he scrambled to safety. It started as a normal shift. After pre-start, he saw he was on the reject truck, not the dozer or the loader, like he usually was. I just got back from doing a traineeship in the wash plant, so I was bumped back to the reject truck. It seemed fine. It had no bad smells and it stopped fine. As any miner will tell you, the reject truck runs 24-7 and takes rock and other contaminants from the coal wash plant to the gigantic reject pile. The workload depends on how dirty the coal is, but the reject truck stops, the whole wash plant shuts down. It's a high pressure job. Every uh, hour it's down, it's another 100 grand, they reckon. At 2.30 p.m., Nick was waiting at the reject bin and the two-way radio crackled to life. He was told to do one more run to the reject dump before coming in for crib break. In 15 minutes, he'd have a cuppa and a warm feed. I started me climb back to the top of the ramp. I got to the top of the ramp and I heard a a bang. Holy fuck! I looked in front of me and there was a water cart sitting in front of me and as I looked right, the deck blew off and flames come out everywhere. So I grabbed the two-way with one hand and then I hit the park brake and the stairs with the other hand. I called emergency, emergency, emergency. There's a truck on fire at the reject dump and then I, I just bailed. So I ran down the front of the truck and as I ran down through the flames, I sort of got singed on the face and on my arms. Um, I ran across the paddock about oh, 100, 150 metres towards the water cart. And by the time I'd got there, she had her stairs down. And then um, I jumped up the stairs and we, we took off. We drove back around the back of the pole to get away from the, the truck. But what neither Nick or the water cart driver realised was there was another person on top of the reject pile that afternoon. Driving up behind Nick as his truck exploded into flames was an OCE about to conduct an inspection. Now, the whole entrance of the top of the pile was a ball of flames. Luckily, the OCE had made it onto the top safely and driven around to join the pair. He was now standing with them watching the inferno behind a low rise. There would have been 30 metre high flames as the um, truck hits about 10 metres tall. The flames would have been 20 metres above it. So yeah, it was a pretty good sight. Um, when they, they said when the front wheel popped, it travelled about 250 metres out on the flat. Um, there was three of us standing up there trying to, you know, we'd been speaking with the rescue rangers and they were trying to come up with a plan. They couldn't really, you know, figure anything out to get us off. So behind us there was a, you know, 100 metre drop, probably a 70 degree angle of a big old pit full of water. Um, so they made us walk out across this unflat topped stockpile and then slide down the back of it and then they dropped ropes down to us and then we had to climb back up that and yeah the OCE and Shelly like the OCE is no spring chicken you know we had to pull up a few times and it was sort of a mission you know your feet sunk into the into the uh, unflat stockpile it was soft under your feet it was a bit of a, a mission yeah and so um when I spoke to Greg about it, you know, it was probably one of the dodgiest rescues he'd come across, he said. 
Um, it felt like getting rescued by Russell Coit. The mine rescue at the site had been contracted out a year before. Probably a year before this incident happened, we used to have our own our own guys were our rescue rangers. So you had a, a rescue fella on your strip. You know, they knew where they were going. They knew the faces that they were going to rescue. It was, uh, it was more of a personal rescue and they were pretty good at their job. And um, yeah, then they changed it to contract rescue fellas and they continually got lost. You know, it was, you'd be sitting up on top of a tip head and you could see them head in the wrong direction from the industrial area and then call up and say, can we get an escort please, because we're, we're lost. It was, uh, you didn't feel safe with them, that's for sure. Nick's truck burnt to the ground. And a few weeks later, another truck caught fire with a relatively new employee driving. Yeah, so she um, she spent too long on the two-way because she, she didn't really know what she had to do or understand the process. And um, she yeah, it, by the time she got to get out of the cab, the flames had just taken over the truck and she ended up having to go over the handrail. And um, she, it's a, it's a fair drop, and she ended up breaking both her ankles and... Yeah, she hasn't returned to work since. Do you have a close call story like Nick's? We'd love to hear it. Email the CFMEU Mining and Energy podcast at commoncause at cfmeu.com.au. That's C-O-M-M-O-N-C-A-U-S-E at cfmeu.com.au. And don't worry, we don't have to use your real name and we can get someone else to voice your story. We just want to hear what happened. Now, we thought we'd get a safety pro's take on this incident. Jason Hill is an industry safety and health representative for the Queensland District. We asked him what he thought had gone wrong in this incident. Sounds like it's a, it's a massive engine failure, which has caused the, the, the flames and the fire around the engine and that to come up over, over the, the walkways of the, of the truck. Generally, that's caused, you know, a massive engine failure is normally caused by... Um, Running, them, uh, uh, running the trucks longer than they're supposed to at, for re- relevant uh, intervals of, of maintenance or um, poor maintenance. So, you know, there's, there's no excuse for these, these to have these sort of failures. Jason explains what could have been done differently to make sure the incident didn't happen. I believe that they would have got warnings that the motor was probably in failure mode, like through oil sampling and, and stuff like that, and they were probably pushing it as hard as they could to go to get as long as they could out of it, you know, I believe it's you know they should have adhered to probably the warning samples that were well, warnings that were coming back, and, and taken corrective action to prevent such a uh, incident from happening. Jason Hill says it wasn't just the incident; the rescue was also a worry. Yeah, I don't believe you can have a go at, at the rescue members and, and the teams themselves. It's the resources and the training that that the company and the bosses that actually put into these these people, you know. You know, like, I'm sure that they tried the best they could, but obviously that the, the company don't value emergency rescue or emergency response as highly as they should do, and that they, they need to put the time and the resources, training into these people to make sure that they, they are able to perform rescues to a satisfactory standard. Jason believes the old system of mine rescue was better. Oh, my preference would be definitely to have, have the, the, the permanent workforce as part of the, the emergency response, they know the layout of the mine, they know the industry well, and um, it's proven that you know that they take some uh, ownership of it. I'm not saying that the, the contract rescue teams don't. It's just that 
You know, I think that the bosses don't put the resources and the in the, the time that's that's required in, into the into the contract rescue team members. If you know if you understand what I'm saying, it means that you know they're not not giving them that adequate training and resources they need to be able to perform rescue um, activities to an acceptable level. Where it's proven that you know um, that the in-house permanent res rescue members knew the layout of the mine, knew how to um, perform different rescues due to the geographical hazards in, in, in and around the mines and, and the size of the equipment and such like that. So it's, it's definitely, a, it, my preference would definitely be to have an in-house uh, rescue team. And the young woman who was terribly injured only months later, what can be learnt from that incident? It just goes to show you, you know, like there's obviously an issue with their maintenance or their trucks. You know, why are they catching fire and, and, and causing such um, issues where people have got to take evasive actions to, to, to do, you know, like one with Nick was have to, to walk through the fire and, and actually sustain burns to himself. Now we've got a young lady who's had to jump off a truck because of the fire so obviously starts so quick and, and takes over so, so fast that they, they have to, you know, expose themselves to danger to escape it. Um, well, I think that's just, that's, it just shows you that they're not learning from their previous incidents. Industry Safety and Health Representative for the Queensland District, Jason Hill. Do you have a close call story like Nick's? We'd love to hear it. Email the CFMEU Mining and Energy Podcast at commoncause at cfmeu.com.au. That's C-O-M-M-O-N-C-A-U-S-E at cfmeu.com.au. And don't worry. We don't have to use your real name and we can get someone else to voice your story. We just want to hear what happened. We'll talk to you next time.